When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I have a question for you. Yes, Erin. Okay, so Michael Cohen's book is out this week. And last week, Melania Trump's ex-best friend's book came out. And every week it seems like there's somebody else who's writing a book talking shit about the Trumps. I don't think there's ever been a public figure in history that has had so many people (laughs) so excited to talk shit about them. But if you could read a shit-talking Mm tell-all written by the former best friend of any historical figure, what historical figure would you want it to be? Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale. And let me tell you why. Because (laughs) when you hear the words Florence Nightingale, don't you think of some like doting person by your bedside? Mm -hmm. No. Florence Nightingale led the first military group of British nurses to Turkey during the Crimean War. She was a bad bitch. She fucking stopped shit from happening. She was a chieftain. And I am tired of people being like, oh, you're like Florence Nightingale. No, she was a bad bitch. She's credited with saving lots of lives. She is the reason that we have doctors and nurses on the front lines. I I just think she was a bad bitch and I want to know all about it. So, Florence Nightingale, what about you? Okay, well, mine are a little bit more tinged with the evil at my core. Um, I want to read books about people that I just like, they've always bugged me and I just want to have a reason. (laughs) Bono. I want a tell-all book about Bono. He drives oh me nuts. My God, that's there's gotta be incendiary and <laughs> awesome. There's gotta be something. There has to be something. I know that I don't just hate him for no reason. There has to be something. <laughs> Do you know that part of the reason I went to work for Barack Obama is because Bono rejected me? Bono rejected you like professionally or like as a friend like how was the what was the oh professionally he was hiring like a political director and I got like in on the action and they were kind of like "Mm, we're okay (laughs) it's okay I ended up with Barack Obama (laughs) okay let's get to the show This week, Jane Fonda and executive director of Greenpeace Annie Leonard join us to tackle the following questions. What is Ted Cruz obnoxiously wrong about this time? Why is climate change a feminist issue? And what does it mean when you've given yourself jam hand? All this and more right now. Okay, let's get to the news. Um, Alyssa, 2020 continues to be a ham-fisted metaphor for humanity's utter inability to learn from its mistakes, born of vanity and weakness. Um, And unfortunately, none of the disasters of the week were as hilarious as a bunch of boats in a Trump boat parade sinking to the bottom of a lake. That's a hilarious disaster. I'm sorry. Nobody got hurt. It is. It wasn't even a disaster. It was like, it was a cartoon. (laughs) It was great. I'm glad those boats sank. Fuck those boats. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about some less hilarious disasters, though. Um, 
the GOP continues to be indomitably creepy about reproduction, even in the midst of a pandemic. Now, this happened last week, but I wanted to talk about it because it was so egregious. Um, Last week, 20 Republican senators joined forces to ask the FDA to ban one of the medications used for early abortions. Uh, One of the senators is Ted Cruz, and he tweeted, Pregnancy is not a life-threatening illness, and the abortion pill does not cure or prevent any disease. Make no mistakes, Mifeprex is a dangerous pill. Um, First of all, can't you just hear that in his voice? His kind of whiny, pontificating voice, even though it was a tweet. It's like the same voice he used when he yelled at Donald Trump for saying his father was part of the JFK conspiracy (laughs) or murder. (laughs) It's not. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how the voice would sound defending his wife from Donald Trump calling her ugly because that never happened. He never defended his wife. Um, But this, but this, this he's gotten involved in. He's going to stand up to this. Um, So Alyssa, and apologies if this question is leading, but on a scale of fuck no to wrongest bitch in the game, exactly how incorrect is Ted Cruz about pregnancy and abortion? Aaron, he maintains his streak as the wrongest bitch in the game for how many years running now? He, he's, Never right. No, he's he's never right. Um, you know, I, I worked on a show with a guy who was his college roommate, Ted Cruz's college roommate. Excuse me. Yeah, Ted Cruz's college roommate is this guy named Craig Mazin who created the show Chernobyl. Whoa, really? Yeah, he's like a brilliant and like great writer, really, really nice guy. Hates Ted Cruz's guts. Whoa, not delish. It. He used to tell us in the writer's room that Ted Cruz would leave like an oily film everywhere <laughs> that he touched. I believe it. It's just greasy. So here's the thing about the pregnancy is not a life-threatening illness statement. Mm. In the U.S., 700 or so women die in childbirth or due to complications of pregnancy every year, mm-hmm. as opposed to the abortion pill, which is administered to people who are up to 10 weeks pregnant. It's been legal in the U.S. since the year 2000. And over the entire course of it being legal in the U.S., 24 women have died over the course of 20 years. So here's just as a simple, simple woman up in her loft. So 24 people in 20 years versus Mm -hmm. 14,000 people in 20 years. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Just wanted to make sure my adding machine was working. Yeah, that seems the math checks out. Um, and Copy that. 14,000 is bigger than 24 by quite a bit. I'd rather have $14,000 than $24. That's true. Same. Okay. Um, it's, you know, it, it's also 3.7 million women in the U.S. have used medication abortion since it's been legal. It's extremely safe. It allows women to end their pregnancies not surgically. It allows mm-hmm. them to do it at at home, I mean, it depends on where you know where it's administered, but in some in some cases, they make you swallow the pills in front of them, and then you go home with like two more pills, and then you have to right. administer them when you get home. But it's a lot more private than having to have surgery. It's a lot less invasive. Why do you think Republicans are trying to ban medication abortion right now? Well, Aaron. I'm sure they actually don't have a very good reason other than apparently now. I mean, the thing about this that is so chef's kiss about the whole thing is that the FDA put this through proper trials. Let's put the vaccine we're dealing with to the side right now. But this Mm -hmm. has been tested over 20 years. 
and they found it safe. And what Ted Cruz is actually doing is saying, please now find this dangerous. That is the fund- that is the crux of what he is doing. He's specifically saying, please find this dangerous, which the FDA hasn't. So why would they now? It makes no sense. But I think that you and I both know that the GOP will do anything they possibly can to make sure that there are more babies in America that they will not help take care of once they are here. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. They've created all these conditions under which it is suboptimal to have a kid. Mm. Like medical care, even if you have insurance, is insanely costly. It's so expensive to have a baby, even with insurance. For many women, it's not safe, especially for women of color, especially for black women. Um, The medical establishment doesn't take their pain seriously and doesn't take their needs or requests seriously. And it's egregious. But also economically, like once the kid is born, what are people supposed to do? I think the pandemic has driven home the point that people just are sort of like playing ping pong with kids' schedules and like people's work schedules and who can go back to work and who can't go back to work. And parents are totally in a lurch. It's already hard to take care of kids when schedules are predictable. But when they're not predictable like this because the government has utterly failed to manage a crisis, it's like this is maybe a time that a logical person would have the hardest time justifying having a kid based solely on the conditions of what you would be bringing the kid into. Now, that being said, you know, there's other like emotional reasons to have a kid, obviously, and I wouldn't totally, I wouldn't judge those at all. But I'm just saying like, you know, a lot of decisions to end a pregnancy are made because of these practical considerations. You, You can't afford it. You don't have the ability to work your job and provide childcare. It will make you very sick. You simply don't want to have a kid in the first place because you're worried about the environment. Banning medication and abortion will force women to have surgery, basically, if they want to have an abortion, unnecessarily so. So it's another way to make having a reproductive anatomy a punitive experience, no matter what. Also, it's like, you know, we were talking a little earlier. I'm not in in case of rape or incest kind of gal, but in this instance, what they're saying is, if you are raped, we are going to quadruple your trauma. And instead of potentially letting you take this very easy, very safe pill, we're going to make you go through a medical procedure because... We want you to, because we feel like you should. So fuck them. I hate them so much. Why can't they just go away? I mean, they just won't. That's the thing. They're just, Ugh. they're... Another thing, I, I don't want to diminish the trauma of an unplanned pregnancy. Right. Like anybody who's ever taken a pregnancy test and wanted the results to be negative and been worried they might be positive has had the feeling of being very like nervous. And to, mm-hmm. to have a positive pregnancy test when you don't want to be pregnant is... Traumatic, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's the same thing as being somebody who's survived sexual assault. But right, no. let's 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 not diminish the fact that, like, no matter if you're a woman going to get an abortion, you're not skipping into the clinic. You probably would have preferred not to have to be there. 
you know? Right. They have to stop making it seem like we're living some like like late 90s, early 2000s Sex in the City episode inside our heads. Like, here we go, being liberated women. No one fucking <laughs> wants to do it. Nobody wants to do it. Like, like, sometimes you have to do it. Sometimes you feel that it is the best thing to do. But like, no one's ever like, you know what? Like, why would I go to Barney's and go shopping today, even though it's shut down now? Like, let's just go have an abortion <laughs> instead. Like, it's, it's so diminishing and offensive that that is literally the mindset that they put forward. Like, that's what they're saying in this, this fucking pathetic move. Also, there are, like, big fucking problems in the world. Can you please with this already? Like, please. Yeah, and the solution to the problem isn't let's force there to be more people. I, I think that's, that's probably the least viable solution to the problem. But, you know, Alyssa, speak for yourself. I mean, I consider my life what happens between abortions. I go abortion to abortion and I use them as like, you know, markers in, in my life and I, I value them. No, it's like nobody wants to have a medical procedure. Let's remove the whole like reproductive element of it. Nobody wants to have an unnecessary medical procedure in the first place, you know? No. Nobody's skipping in to get an appendectomy. Nobody's like, really hoping that they have to get part of their liver cut off because they, you know, drank too much. I don't know. Nobody's hoping to have to get a, you know, a heart surgery. Nobody wants an unnecessary medical procedure. It sucks. So, like, why are Republicans trying to make women do this? I agree. And the ones that we actually need, by the way, not to get personal here, but I had to fucking fight tooth and nail with my insurance company to get a colonoscopy because I'm first generation. Like, my dad had colon problems. And the doctor's like, you should definitely get a colonoscopy by the time you're 40. And no one wanted to pay for it. Also, mammograms. Why do they make them so hard? Why are they trying to raise the age when you can get a fucking mammogram that's covered by insurance? You know what, bros? Fucking focus on some shit that might actually save some lives. Fucking assholes. Yeah, indeed. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's go to another disaster this week. Um, the cause of it is like darkly funny in a fuck you kind of way. Um, a pyrotechnic device at a gender reveal party in California has led to a massive fire that has burned 10,000 acres at least since Saturday. Congratulations. It's a disaster. I just, before we get into the whole climate change aspect of this, Alyssa, you and I are both straight women. You're married. I'm, I'm about to get married. You date men. You've dated men. But For like, sure. are, straight, are straight people okay? Are we okay? Do we need to like do something about this? I mean, I think we might have to. Like, I have to say. I mean, between this and the Maine wedding, remember the wedding in Maine that started the giant COVID outbreak? It's the like COVID spreaders, the people who have stopped reporting they've stopped tracing because people won't admit that they were actually there because like a 75 person wedding has turned into like five deaths and 150 cases. Yeah. Funny. I mean, what people, it's not hard to follow instructions. You too can prevent forest fires, said Smokey the Bear. Our beloved straight traditions of telling people about our baby's crotches and having giant parties celebrating our weddings we do not need to be doing them right now. No, and maybe, maybe, just maybe we could fry a turkey on a balcony in a crowded apartment building. Yeah. Oh, God, Thanksgiving is coming up. Okay, so like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm in California right now, and if you could see the light coming in through, I'm facing east, and right. the light coming in through the window is like apocalyptic sun 
from a PBS animation of what happened after the asteroid hit the earth and the dinosaurs all died. Like the sky is orange and oh. the the color is wrong. And uh, this morning in my Los Angeles Times, like California Today Digest, which I read every morning, there were tips about how to clean ash out of your yard and off your car because it's falling from the sky. Mm. Yeah. So there's 25 fires burning in California, 2.3 million acres and counting have burned. And of course, you know, this wouldn't be as bad as it is if it wasn't for extreme weather. Mm -hmm. Um, Extreme heat this weekend, it was 112 degrees at my house. Um, extreme heat, extreme winds are making it hard to fight the fires. Climate change means droughts are more dramatic and more droughts mean more dead trees for the fires to burn the next time a couple needs to announce their baby's gender. Meanwhile, this week in Florida, President Trump declared himself a great environmentalist. Alyssa, is Trump a great environmentalist? He's not, Aaron. He is not a great environmentalist. He's a he's a terrible environmentalist. And actually, if you took a list of the top challenges facing the world and the country, it's from the top of our brains we could go down and be like, oh, here's how he has actively made each one of these things worse. He doesn't believe in mitigation, which anyone who knows anything about climate can tell you that by doing certain things and making certain things better, if you're in New York City, guess what? Floods are going to still keep happening, but let's do some mitigation on the beaches. Let's move houses back. Let's raise them. Let's make sure that they're up higher so people's homes aren't getting destroyed. Trump, he hates everything. Mm -hmm. He hates everything and everyone. And he doesn't care what dies or what burns. I mean, remember, it was just like a year or a hundred ago when he was like, if they just raked the forest floors, this wouldn't happen. Like, what is he even talking about? Uh, He acts as if now the problem is to these fucking morons and their gender reveal party is that Trump keeps trying to say that we're all stupid and that's why these things keep happening. These morons don't help us make the case by shooting fireworks off during a drought with a horrific wind situation. Like, those people are stupid. And I hope that they meet the same fate as the... Do you remember the U.S. Border Patrol guy who was off-duty and set off some rockets? And he had to... He was charged with $8.2 million in restitution for the forest mm-hmm. fire he set off? Mm-hmm. Who else... Who else would not only find fault, but send the whole GOP after to attack a high school girl named Greta who is just trying to raise awareness of what is happening in this world and how close we are to the precipice of things being not able to fix. But he can't mm-hmm. help himself. I mean, he also pulled out of the Paris Agreement. He's oh, that also too. appointed energy executives to key positions that are supposed to be fighting pollution. Um, he's rolled back clean water protections. That too. Um, climate change is no longer on a list of national security threats. I mean, he made an oil executive his first secretary of state. Remember Rex Tillerson? Oh, God, it's been so long since he was around. What happened to him? I mean, look, the president, the, the, the CEO of Exxon was like, I got to tap out. This is too much for me to witness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, it's kind of frustrating because climate change is something that you don't notice until it's so bad that you can't really do anything about it at the moment. Mm-hmm. In a way, it reminds me of, like, therapy. Because for for me, usually when I like have the energy to seek out therapy, I don't need it at that moment. 
You know, like I don't remember, like I'm not in a state of crisis at that exact moment. Like here it's like, okay, right now California is on fire. Um, The air is poisonous. It's really, really hot. We can't really do anything about that right now in terms of regulating things and trying to fix things or changing the amount of emissions or trying to make cities more car friendly because we're dealing with the immediate crisis. So like, how do we get people to care about unsexy, but long-term solutions? I mean, I think that's the million dollar question, right? It is. I do think that, I think if you stood outside a grocery store and asked most people, do you think climate's a problem? I think most of them would say yes. Like in upstate New York, you cannot be both a climate denier and a farmer. (laughs) Like you can't be because there is drought, crops are dying. Then there was too much rain when there wasn't supposed to be and they all, the fruit got mushy and it's now rotten in the middle. So like they all know that things are wrong and things are bad. And it's like, it's going to affect everyone it does affect everyone. It is affecting everyone. So it's mostly Trump and people who are afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, that super sucks. And uh, I wish I were somewhere else right now than this place that is lit by a scary orange light and uh, that's covered in air that I have a hard time breathing. Um, okay, so whether or not politicians admit that it is an issue it is an issue like Mm -hmm. one way or another we're going to deal with this and I just really hope that the next president Joe Biden actually takes a a leadership role in this instead of just declaring himself to some Florida supporters who aren't wearing masks that he's a great environmentalist so I think that's it I mean I wish I could end on a better note but I think that's the note we have to end on So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we have a couple guests this week. One of them is, I think, safe to say a household name. Um, No matter how old you are, no matter your generation, you have a reason to be a fan of this woman because she's been awesome for a very long time and continues to just be fucking awesome. The other guest is somebody that you might not know, but once you hear from her, you are going to be so stoked that you got to spend some time with her. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, our two special guests. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love or, that for Viore. Is that, you know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. <laughs> it is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. <laughs> five <laughs> stars. No five, comment. 100% great. That's the type. That's my favorite sport. The new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging, which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are because you know, like not everybody's the same. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty, so I size up a little bit, but then it's t- usually too big in my waist, and so now I just just pull that drawstring. 
And I don't show show any crack when I bend over. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Okay, listeners, we are so excited to have Jane Fonda, Oscar-winning actress and author of the new book, What Can I Do? My Path from Climate Despair to Action. Joining her is Annie Leonard, Executive Director of Greenpeace. Welcome to you both. Thank you. It's good to be on anything called hysteria. (laughs) (laughs) Let's reclaim it. We're we're reclaiming it. Exactly. Um, We get really hysterical on this show, and we're so glad to have both of you here to get hysterical about the environment. Um, So, Jane, (laughs) first question is for you. Um, Congratulations on the book, first of all. Thank you. It's a a lovely book. Um, You've been politically active on many issues over the course of your career. Why has climate change been the one you've dedicated this era of your life to? If we don't confront and do something about the climate crisis, there really won't be too much else to think about. The climate crisis is already impacting so much of our life, and it's not something off in the future. It's it's right now. If we don't stop emitting fossil fuels and do it fast. Science says we have to cut them in half in 10 years. There won't be a future. So, you know, it's not like you have to put everything else down and only focus on this, but it's really all I can think about. It's hard to go to sleep when you think about what it's doing to us. Mm -hmm. Um, And how did you and Annie connect on the issue? I don't remember the first time I contacted Annie. I'm always calling her with some, like, I want to get out on a kayak in the Gulf and stop shell oil. I called her. <laughs> I called her on a with very bad cell phone connection from Big Sur a year ago, last Labor Day weekend, and I said, Annie, I've just read Naomi Klein's new book, On Fire: A Burning Case for the Green New Deal, and I want to move to Washington D.C. for a year and protest in front of the White House. And she said, well, that's great, Jane. I'm just, I'm so happy that you're ready to put yourself out there like that, but it's illegal. You can't do that (laughs) anymore. But let's talk about what we can do. You see, Greenpeace is such a brave organization. You know, it's an organization that does big, bold, brave, attention-getting actions that make people realize that there's a problem And people are actually risking their lives about it. So I knew that Annie was the one for me to go to. And then she arranged a conference call with Bill McKibben, 
co-founder of 350.org, and Naomi herself, and then a, an environmental lawyer named Jay Halfin. And we, at Esalen Institute up, up the coast, up California coast, we, we had a conference call where we really planned on what became Fire Drill Friday, doing it every Friday, getting buy-in from the young climate activists who were already, like Greta Thunberg, taking action on Friday, making sure that they would welcome this, and that it would be a rally that focused on different aspects of the climate crisis every Friday with experts. Celebrities would come to introduce the experts, but mostly it was the experts, and they were very young, and they were people of color, and they were indigenous women, and they were not all women, right, Annie, but largely women and largely women of color who are impacted the most by the climate crisis. And it was always followed by an action, a civil disobedience action that meant that you were risking arrest. Why? Because historically, that's what's changed history is when people engaged in civil disobedience. It calls attention to what you're doing. It calls attention to the problem. And it's what has to become the new normal now. And so every Friday there would be an action of civil disobedience and arrests. And um, Mm -hmm. we didn't know if it would work, but it actually it was clearly something that was needed. People were waiting to do the next step. What's the next step? Tell me, what can I do? Okay, I'll do it. So people started coming from all over the country more than once. Right, Annie? Right. I remember um, we would meet in a church every morning before our weekly protest and rally, and we would do a, a training on civil disobedience, what to expect. We'd explain the climate urgency, why civil disobedience was called for. We would talk about how we had exhausted the polite levers that democracy offers us. For three decades, we have written reports and testified in front of Congress and made documentary films and written books and did permanent marches. And we did every single thing that we are told to do. And we have hit a wall. We have not yet had an elected or business leader willing to act in line with what the science demands. So it's time now for civil disobedience. And it was fascinating for a couple of things. One is how it was mostly women. It was almost all women there. But the other thing that was fascinating is we'd ask people, for how many of you is this your first time engaging in civil disobedience for an issue you feel passionately about? And I've been an activist for a long time. I'm used to the same people coming every time. You know, this is, you know, it's not the first time. And the majority of people would raise their hands and say it was their first time. And I was so intrigued. So I'd walk around the crowd and I would ask people, why did you come? And many of them said, because Jane called us to, and we trust her. And um, many also said that they had been hungry for a way to get involved in the climate movement, and they hadn't found an entree that was right for them. The fun thing was towards the end of the 14 weeks when we'd ask people, how many of you, is this your first time? It was fewer and fewer because they'd come back again and again. Mm -hmm. They found it so rewarding. So the first week... 17 people joined Jane and myself and others um, in risking arrest, engaging in civil disobedience, which is a pretty significant demonstration of your commitment to an issue. 17 people. The last week, it was 350 people joined. Wow. And now we're continuing them virtually. I just got the new numbers, Annie. Last Friday, over 600,000 people were following us across platforms. It's just grown and grown. A thousand people signed up. That's unusual. A thousand people volunteering. 
after one Friday fire drill on virtual. I'm so excited. (laughs) People are at home asking, what can I do? That is front and center. What can Mm -hmm. I do? And so we're here to help figure it out. Annie, you started with Greenpeace back in 1988. What were the biggest issues the globe was facing back then? And has that changed in 2020? What a good question. A lot of things have changed and a lot of things are still the same. Um, the big issues then, some of them are still big, um, protecting ecosystems, protecting forests, protecting oceans. Um, toxic pollution was a really big campaign and that's what I worked on was um, fighting the location of hazardous um, polluting facilities and waste dumps. And this part is the same, is that in the 80s and 90s, when companies were locating waste incinerators or polluting factories, they would seek out the communities that were perceived to have the least ability to fight back, mm-hmm. that were perceived to lack the educational or financial or political resources. So it was low-income communities, communities of color, a lot of indigenous lands. And the same thing is happening now with fossil fuels, is that those fossil fuel corporations are going to indigenous lands, low-income communities, communities of color, to locate their oil drilling equipment, which Jane and I have visited firsthand, as well as their petrochemical refinery um, equipment. So the connections between um, environmental health, pollution, and social and racial justice continue to exist. The thing that is so much better Better now, though, than in the 1980s, is there is so much more of a cross-movement systemic unity. Is that back in the 80s, environmentalists were in one group, and immigrant rights activists were in another, and women were in another, and everybody read their own books and listened to different music and did their own socializing. And now we are increasingly coming together as one overall movement partly because we understand the deep interconnections between these issues um, and that the solutions, and this is the good part, the solutions to one address them all. If we can transition from a fossil fuel dependent polluting economy to a clean energy economy, not just do we address the climate crisis, the absolute climate emergency, but we create, we address the economic crisis. We create good union jobs. We, cr- we address the health crisis because we create clean air and clean water. The problems are interconnected. The solutions are interconnected. And increasingly, the activists and the movements are interconnected. And that's how we're going to build the power to drive real change. So I am actually more hopeful than ever, even though the climate crisis is so dire. Hmm. That is really great to hear from you. Um, Jane, I want to revisit a point that both of you brought up earlier, and that is the role of women in the environmentalist movement. Um, Well, we we know that women face higher risks and bigger burdens from the consequences of climate change. But Jane, what is your theory about why women are so interested in getting involved in fighting for environmental justice right now? Older women especially. (laughs) Younger women kind of led the student uprising that started two years ago in in 2018 globally. I mean, they were the biggest demonstrations in the history of the world, I think. You know, whether it was here in this country, so many women that have been part of Fire Drill, Fred Jamie Margolin and, and many others, and Greta Thunberg, who kind of lit the fire, but young girls from Standing Rock who ran all the way to D.C. with a petition for the Army Corps of Engineers to try to stop the oil pipeline at Standing Rock, for example, and many others. But older women, you know, we men get more conservative. Women get braver and bolder as they get older. I mean, what the hell do we have to lose, right? (laughs) We might as well be brave. I think we're also less vulnerable to the disease of individualism. Hmm. 
there's been a concerted effort to enhance individualism in this country as in England for the last 40 years. It's me, it's my family, it's my, I don't care about the librarian or the policeman or the postal worker or whatever. Women tend not to be so vulnerable to individualism. We understand the collective. We understand the public sphere. You know, we also, we carry a lot of the pollutant, more pollutants in our bodies than men do because of our body fat, which sequesters toxins. Um, which means that if you're pregnant, the fetus is in danger, which means if you're nursing, the nursing baby is in danger. You know, I cannot figure out why right to lifers don't get on the climate crisis wagon. If they care about children, they should be fighting the climate crisis. Women are the 80 percent of climate refugees are women and we're the least the last to be rescued, especially in the global south. Women are the ones that gather the food and the wood and the water. And so when there is a um, an extreme weather event, their work becomes so much harder. You know, everything in a woman's life becomes harder. And it's always the woman that wants to bring her village back together when there's been a crisis. So mm -hmm. it just impacts us. So much. And Friday after Friday, I kept noticing there's way more women in this crowd than men. And man, a lot of them have gray hair. Very good. And always, whenever, you know, we would be held in a big detention center after we were arrested, two thirds or more of the room would be women. And then there'd be the third group over here, the men. And they were usually quite quiet. Well, we were hysterical. <laughs> if, I, if you don't mind my saying so, uh, organizing, talking, planning, it was really interesting to watch. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. also women, especially in, in the global south, women who come up with climate solutions, who come up with the idea of getting a solar stove for a school or solar lighting so that children aren't born by candlelight. And there's another thing. Every country that has a woman leader tends to be more apt to sign the climate treaties, global climate treaties, for example, when there are women leaders. So I feel I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Well, I want to add that the data really um, validates everything that you just said. The data shows that um, in the United States, as well as globally, women tend to be more concerned about climate. They tend to understand the seriousness of the risk more. But tragically, they tend to be less confident in their knowledge about climate, even though they're more right, which I think is kind of the opposite of men who are often <laughs> less right and more confident. But, but women are actually understand climate better, are more concerned, but have less confidence in that knowledge, which some of the um, scientists attribute to a gender disparity in STEM fields, so science might be newer. But in any case, what that's one of the things that we're setting out to address here is that this book, What Can I Do?, as well as the weekly Fire Drill Fridays, presents climate information, including science, politics, social analysis, economics, in accessible, inviting ways. And in many ways, it's teaching people new things. But in many ways, it's just validating what we already know is it's an emergency and our leaders aren't acting like it and we need to make them. Annie, to that point, sort of, with so much, you know, social media, I'm sure, has both been an organizing tool for you guys, but it's also hard because we're inundated with so much every day. I mean, Donald Trump alone 
could make us all medicate ourselves. Um, for our listeners, can you talk about some of the visible changes and threats that we see on a daily basis, like things that we see that should trigger us? You know, like I'm on Instagram, I follow Paul Nicklin, I keep up with the, what's happening to the bears, but what should we be seeing in our daily lives that should sort of scare the shit out of us? <laughs> there's a lot of things, a lot of things that are scary, but there's also a lot of things that are hopeful. I mean, one of the things is about climate is um, it's called parts per million, PPM. That's the unit we use for measuring how much carbon is in the atmosphere. And, and increased carbon in the atmosphere is, of course, driving uh, climate change. It's the biggest thing driving climate change. There's a few others. Um, so right now we're at about 415 ppm, 415 parts per million of the atmosphere are carbon. That is dangerous. We don't actually even know how dangerous it is because human society has never lived in a 415 ppm world. So that's one thing to track is ppm. Scientists say it needs to get down to 350 ppm. You know, it drives me nuts that on NPR marketplace, they're, they're every Every day they're giving the numbers of the stock market and consumer index. I'm like, how about the parts per million of carbon? That's the one that has the biggest impact. So tracking parts per million, and you can just go on Google, look up how many parts per million. And right now it's going up. It desperately, urgently needs to be going down. That's a huge thing to watch. Another thing I'd like to alert people to watch is about um, conversations about democracy and how we're talking as a society about democracy, about protest, about dissent. I firmly believe that a healthy democracy is a precondition for a healthy environment. That our democracy should be the best tool that we have to promote public good, public health, climate solutions, a resilient economy. And right now, it's not just the planet that's under threat. It's not just our communities that are under threat. It's our democracy itself. And so if you if you read between the lines and watch the headlines, there's a, a trend spreading around the country right now that is seeking to criminalize protest. And that's really dangerous because if you think about the history of our country, Every time we've had a major breakthrough, whether it was on civil rights or women getting the right to vote or you know, anything, anything, it's um, first comes protest. Protest is how we keep our democracy functioning and thriving and make our world more fair. And so what's happening now is a crackdown on protest. So really watch that. And it comes in sort of sneakily little tiny new rules against protest. Because if we lose the right to protest, if we lose the right to free speech and peaceful assembly and talking about the issues that we care about, we stand at risk of losing a whole lot more. And along mm -hmm. the same line, the right to vote. Exactly. What, what the Trump administration has done with the Postal Service, what he's doing to voting precincts and everything. This is a huge challenge to democracy in general and to this election this November in particular. It should terrify us. So should the fact that an hour south of here, there are oil drills, those those phallic looking things that pump up the oil right next to schools right next mm -hmm. to homes and people and kids and wonderful young people are dying of cancer and mm -hmm. lung disease, mm -hmm. you know, there's all those things. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it is really scary and can feel overwhelming sometimes if you try to, you know, play whack-a-mole with all the bleak headlines. But Jane, in the book, you kind of have a silver lining view about the activism of young people, like the aforementioned Greta Thunberg. 
Um, what are some other activists in the cl- in the world of climate activism that you think our listeners should know about? Like, who are some particularly inspiring people? And Annie, same question. Well, every single indigenous person that that I know, it's amazing. It's you know, people know about Standing Rock, but there's North Carolina where indigenous people have just stopped a pipeline that was going to go through Appalachia. And indigenous people in Navajo country and Diné country in Arizona, New Mexico, that have done so much to stop uranium mines and, and fossil fuel pipelines and things like that. You've asked for individuals. Jamie Margolin is an amazing climate leader, young girl. She just started at USC. She's quarantining in her dorm right now. Um, she, that's, she's an example. Um, Annie here, I didn't call her for nothing. She's, um, <laughs> she's, she's one of the most knowledgeable and strategic climate activists that I know. And I'm, I'm really grateful to work with her. Well, there's so many. Ayana Johnson, who's an expert on oceans, and she's coming out with a great book. All we can save. Truth, courage, and solutions for the climate crisis. I'll promote her book. Uh, <clears throat> Greenpeace is full of the most wonderful climate activists. I mean, there are so many. We could use the rest of this hour going through the Rolodex. Um, there's Jerome Foster, uh, a young African-American. Now he's a freshman in college. He's just starting at Columbia, who had every Friday been protesting by himself in front of the White House. And so when we decided to do this, we first went and asked him, is that OK? Because he had sort of staked out the Friday protests. And he said, let's go. He was all for working together. So he spoke at our first Fire Drill Friday. All of the videos from the Fire Fridays in Washington, D.C., and the online ones that we've been doing since are all available at firedrillfridays.com. So people can go and look. Every week we prioritized youth, women, and activists of color because too often those voices are excluded from the mainstream discussion. It wasn't exclusively that. We, had, we let our occasional white male friend come in. But <laughs> it is like a smorgasbord of incredible, inspiring activists. So um, everybody, please check it out at firedrillfridays.com. There was a young woman named Yvette Arellano who comes from Mm. Houston, where all the refineries are. And she just blew me away. She spoke at a fire drill Friday in D.C. You know, for young people like her, shelter in place is no big, no new deal. They have to shelter in place in 110 degree heat because the refinery has exploded. So they can't open their windows. They have to cover their windows and doors with plastic for days on end. They can't go outside. This is their life. In her speech, she said that she just assumed it was normal for kids on a playing field to constantly have to stop and use their inhalation, you know, their little asthma things in order to breathe. She thought it was normal to go through life smelling benzene which has a kind of a a sweet smell. You know, she thought it was normal at night to have the playing field lit by flares from refineries. And then there was uh, there was another uh, girl from Philadelphia, again, living in the shadow of a refinery and having to shelter in place, being sent home from school because there was no air conditioning because the schools were too poor and it was 115 degrees. And then they're sent home where it's even hotter. It's cooler in the suburbs, but you know what I mean? The the stories are so poignant because so many of us who are privileged don't realize the reality that climate change has brought to the lives of so many 
young people. And this same young girl from Philadelphia, all her life, she just wanted to go to college and she was accepted on scholarships. And then she realized that she can't go to college because it's more important to work to stop the climate crisis. And her friends, they always say, well, if we pass the Green New Deal, it won't be this way. You know, that gas station can become a library if the Green New Deal is passed. You know, it's a joke that they tell each other. If only the Green New Deal was passed, such and such would be true. They live in anguish that they won't have a future. And they live in the hope that us, older people who can vote and they can't, will pass a Green New Deal so they will have a future. Annie, just so everyone knows, can you just tell all of our listeners how, again, they can find out about Fire Drill Fridays, where they can follow you on social media and get the best information? Oh, thank you for asking, because we would love you, dear listeners, to join our movement. We are effective, and we are having fun, and we are building power, and you can be a part of it. Um, If you have a cell phone, you can text the word Jane to the number 877-877, just the word Jane to 877-877, and that will immediately plug you into our community where you will get updates about our weekly Fire Drill Fridays, action alerts, and you can get um, involved in volunteering. Uh, you can also follow Fire Drill Fridays on social media, on Facebook. We live stream all of our weekly projects there and have great everyday multiple updates about the issue, including profiles of inspiring activists like the ones that we've talked about. And our website is firedrillfridays.com. And we'd love you to um, come join there. We're building community. It sounds like having fun. It sounds like a party. (laughs) It sounds really awesome. And I kind of want to sneak my phone out and text right now. Um, So uh, this question is also for both of you just to, to wrap up. So a lot has happened in the world since the first Fire Drill Friday in late 2019, I believe. Um, so has the kind of surge in police violence against protesters changed the way you talk to people who join the movement about the ways that they should protest and interact with police? Well, first of all, the um, police pro- uh, violence against protesters is certainly not new. What's new is that everybody has a camera in their pocket and the ability sure. to broadcast it so that we're seeing it much more. Um, Greenpeace does a lot of work about defending the right to protest legally, as well as um, sharing safe protest behaviors and practices. So we do a lot of webinars and trainings. Anybody can contact Greenpeace.org to get on um, our mailing list as well and learn about this. Join some of these webinars, best practices for mutual aid, for support, for, um, you know, things to bring with you or not bring you to protest as safely as possible. Um, I think that the most recent movement against Black Lives protests, well, first of all, there's again a huge overlap on climate because there is such a racial disparity in terms of the impacts of climate. And so we feel that the movement for Black Lives is very aligned with the kind of climate solutions that we're um, advocating for. But that movement for Black Lives was inspiring in so many ways. I mean, the the peaceful, it was really, really largely peaceful protests, people exercising their First Amendment right, living their values. And when we saw that sustained mass protest, you know what happened is they won. 
They shifted the national discourse. They shifted public opinion. They reached people's hearts and minds, and they won a ton of policy victories. Schools kicked police out of them. Money was mm -hmm. diverted from the armed police to social work. Here where I live in Berkeley, California, the police said that armed police will no longer intervene in social issues, and they'll send social workers who have a better set of skills to deal with that. Like Enormous progress happened, and I was so proud to see so so many Greenpeace and Fireville Fridays and climate allies out there in the streets standing next to our, our Black Lives Matter brothers and sisters. So for me, it was um, reinforced the power of protest and reinforced how much we need to stick together and make sure that we can do it safely. Jane, anything changed for you since uh, since the late 2019 when this all started? Well, the pandemic has been a teachable opportunity. It, it, it's been it has shown us, number one the need for a strong federal government, something that we've been told for 40 years is bad. Government is bad. We have to tear it down until, as Grover Norquist said, it could be drowned in a bathtub. Well, because they don't want government regulations because they'll get richer if government is small and can't regulate or look after average people. It's, it's to their financial benefit. But what happens when you don't have a strong, robust and prepared central government is what we've seen in the United States with the tragic number of people who've gotten sick and died. That's that's one thing. Then the preparedness, the importance of being prepared. That's an important lesson that can be applied to the climate crisis. We have to prepare as a nation. We are woefully lacking resilience. We we don't have the ability. Our infrastructure is not prepared for what is happening and what's going to get only get worse. Our sewage, our sanitary systems, our dams, our bridges, our roads, buildings, our healthcare system. We have no we have no resilience. We're very brittle as a nation right now. We need to be able to be flexible and be able to move quickly in a prepared and flexible way. Oh, and we've also seen how quickly the government in an emergency can come up with large amounts of money. That's going to have to happen with the Green New Deal, too. And it can happen and it works. But also it exposed the deep systemic inequality in our society that a lot of people weren't really aware of. They didn't understand a whole lot of Americans live very they're skating on thin ice is what's happening. They really it, the difference between being able to feed their family and not is so thin. And something like the pandemic comes along and it's just a catastrophe. And the same is true of the climate crisis. So there's a lot of um, things that are relevant to the climate crisis that have been exposed because of, of the pandemic. And, of course, the solution to the economic fallout of the pandemic is also part of the solution to the climate crisis. Use the money to create jobs in the green, sustainable economy of the future. Don't give it to the people that are behind the problem, which is the fossil fuel industry, as the Trump administration is doing. So it's been horrible. It's also exposed a lot of what we have to do. Mm -hmm. Annie and Jane, thank you both so much for taking the time to hang out with us and talk about what Greenpeace is up to and Fire Drill Fridays. And again, congratulations on the new book, What Can I Do?, it's about how to become active in the climate crisis. And look, I have my copy right here, too. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Excellent. I hope thank you'll join us. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you.
When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a Remax agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Before we get to Sanity Corner, a little bit of housekeeping. This week, we are getting our shit together. What does that mean? Each state has different voting options and deadlines ahead of election day, and things may have changed in the past few months or even weeks. The team at Vote Save America combed through all 50 states to compile all the information about your different voting options, specific deadlines, and frequently asked questions. Everything from what to do if your vote-by-mail ballot doesn't show up to when you need to get registered by. Take some time today, visit votesaveamerica.com slash states, learn your state's voting options and deadlines, and get your shit together. Okay, we're back. We have uh, reached the end of the show. We're down two guests. It's just me and Alyssa now. And rather than doing I Feel Petty this week, um, I think it's just been a heavy news week, so we're going to do... Sanity Corner. We're going to talk about the things that are helping us retain a grip on sanity slash happiness. Happiness might be a stretch in some cases, but you know, we're, we're striving toward happiness with the aid of these things. So Alyssa, what is keeping you sane? I have two things. Two. Okay. One, this week on social media, I saw this story about a woman who I had maybe heard about in passing, but sat down to read everything I could about her. Her name is Freddie Overstein. Freddie Overstein was a young girl in the Netherlands during uh, World War II. And she and her sister and her friends were a bunch of little rabble rousers who hated Nazis. And they first started out by getting on their bikes and randomly shooting Nazis. (laughs) This is true. Randomly shooting Nazis. Then they helped Jewish kids get out of, like they helped them out of the country and out of concentration camps. Again, just two young girls. Then... As they got older, Freddie would seduce SS soldiers, bring them into the woods like they were going to get some, and she would shoot them dead. And that kind of energy, I just think, is what we need to bring for the next 50-some days to the election. (laughs) I'm not calling anyone a Nazi, (laughs) but I'm just saying it was the anniversary of her death a couple days ago, and if anyone was like me and did not know all they should know about Freddie Overstein, I had to share And then, of course, there's my jam. (laughs) Okay, let's hear about your jam. Well, Erin, it's Concord grape season. I got a notification from my favorite orchard that Concord grapes were ready to be picked. So not only did I go, but my hubs came with me because he wanted to see what it was all about. And even he got excited at all the grapes. So we did that, and then I came home, I popped those little grapes out of their skins, and then I popped the pits out of the grapes. Wait, you can pop them out of the skin? That sounds like the most satisfying thing I can imagine. It's so fun. And at one point, I was like savoring it, and then I was like, bitch, get going. You have like 700 of these to do. So you pluck it off the stem, and then the opposite end of where the stem was, you just pinch it, and it shoots out, and it's like little eyeballs in a bowl. It's crazy. Like a kid haunted house. 
it is like a kid haunted house. And afterwards, I was like, do you want to touch it? He was like, I absolutely don't want to touch it. Thank you very much. <laughs> but then it's making my arthritis worse. So now I have to wear a bit of a brace while I stir my jam. <laughs> Wait, so there's a specially made jam glove? For arthritis, this sounds I'd like a call it, uh, this sounds like a product that exists only for you, Alyssa. I no. would not say it's something actually on the market. I'd say I took a gardening <laughs> glove and put it on my hand because I'm also getting severe calluses. Because Erin, you know me, I don't do anything halfway. I just don't. I don't. So I've gone See, crazy. Now you've got a jam hand. I have jam hand. <laughs> I've, I've really started trying to do it with my left hand to like even it out because I think my right side has become unbearably stronger than the left side. But I made a terrible mess trying to do it with my left hand. Oh my God. So middle-aged upstate. You're like a college pitcher that only works out like one arm. Yeah. My brother pitched in college and I remember there was a period of time where one of his forearms was like very hilariously bigger than the other one. Yeah. I mean, I think mine still look the same size, but I have to do exercises. <laughs> oh man, you should try knitting. Knitting is really good for like dexterity and helping you. I, well, I made friendship bracelets. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. A friendship bracelet that I, I currently have one of them. Next week, I'll be able to report on my tie-dye adventure, which just came in the mail. <laughs> wow. I I know. Can't wait for that. Um, you could be a, like a one-woman dead show. That's, I'm literally trying to just be the miracle that everybody's looking for in the parking lot. When everyone's like, I need a miracle, I want to be like, I'm here. I got jam, I got tie-dye, I've got a jam glove. And I've got weed (laughs) and tie-dyes, okay? Perhaps I am my own cliche. So Erin, what's keeping you, what's keeping you sane? A couple things. I mean, like, as you know, I'm a big reader. I've come across a couple books recently that have really been awesome. I read Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, which everybody is reading, which is as good as everybody says, but it's not a book that will make you feel happy. It'll make Mm. you very mad. Um, but uh, And then Transcendent Kingdom by Ya Gyasi, mm-hmm. who's a Ghanaian-American writer. Her first book was called Homegoing, and I read it this year on some recommendations from people. And it was like, it was one of those books that I read, and I was like, who, I want to know all about this author. And then it was like, she's 27, fuck this. <laughs> like, she's, she, she's, and I, it's... I'm being sarcastic because it's like we are we're lucky to live in a world with a writer as good as she is. But her writing is so mature and clear. And I think a lot of young writers have a tendency to overwrite sometimes and she doesn't. But at the same time, like she'll just there'll be a paragraph every once in a while that just like punches you in the gut. It's incredible. Like I don't want to give away too much. It's like just because I think discovering the world of the book is like its own joy. So I also really love this book called Luster by Raven Leilani, which is Mm. um, a debut novel that it's pretty short, but it's like just incredible. Um, So those two books I think have been my favorite books I've read in a while or my favorite, my favorite two novels. But the other thing that I realized last night that felt pretty good, I watched a movie that I hated so much that it made me feel alive. Oh, what was it? So much. It was, I'm thinking of ending things. 
it's called. It's like this Charlie Kaufman movie. He's the guy that did Being John. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, and like um, Eternal Sunshine and stuff. So, like, I started the movie. The first of all, the performances are great, mm-hmm. and the movie looks really good. It's like very well shot. Oh, I've seen the trailers. Sure. Um, but I, and I don't want to give away too much, but it is a fucking disaster. Like it's, (laughs) it's so good. The first two thirds, I'm like, all right, where's this going? I'm so intrigued. I'm along for the ride. I'm here for it. You know, it's got so much of, you know, a lot of things I like in it. And then the last third, I was like, (laughs) there was a part, I was watching it with Josh. There's a part where I just, where there's like a sudden, ballet dance in a high school hallway between two people we've never seen before and I just went I just went I'm out (laughs) and then for the that's it for for the rest of the movie it was just like what the fuck is going on and it's based on a book that I haven't read so I was like what was this supposed to be right and I read about the book and even reading about the book I was like I think I hate the book too (laughs) but the movie did not successfully convey the book but it felt fortifying to be like, I hate Hated this. it. I get I it. I hate it so much. I mean, this movie isn't isn't harmful in any way. It's not like, you know, it's not like the the hate I felt when I saw the Joker when I was like, this is like this is cancer. I couldn't watch that. That was terrible. Right. I, I was like, this is a carcinogenic, bad, socially bad. I didn't feel like that about this. This is like a harmless bad movie that I just was like, this is <laughs> this is hilariously bad. <laughs> I just I don't think I mean I'm not saying people should watch it. I'm saying if you're the type of person that feels kind of like made alive by like really hating something that isn't really doing a ton of damage, that it just really, it helped. It it made me feel good. We've taken to watching old movies one of us hasn't seen before. And this weekend I watched The Goodbye Girl with Richard Dreyfuss. Hmm. And I was like, why would anyone watch this? And then I watched it and I was like, that was charming. Annoying, but charming. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you can tell how things have evolved and... 40, however many years it was since that movie came out. But it was still like, there's a certain level of joy in movies that happened before Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and there was there was just something about this that I was like, this movie could never be made after Donald Trump or during Donald Trump. These kind of movies can only happen before him because now we know that evil actually does take full shape and form still. But it was great and like cute and peppy and Richard Dreyfus was like, I also love watching movies when, like, the worst thing they could do to you is make you be skinny. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, I was thinking about um, how before the COVID thing happened, how it was sort of almost a cliche for people to be like, there's too much content. I can't watch all the content. They keep making good content. Well, no, they're not really making any content anymore. So this is a real chance to catch up on some stuff. I have, Mm -hmm. like, a bunch of things that I'm like, oh, I never saw this. I've, I've never seen Taxi Driver. Which, oh, you should see that, yeah. I'm yeah, I've never seen Taxi Driver. I've never seen The Apartment. Oh, you got to see that too. Exactly. So I'm like saving them for, you know, a day where I'm like, okay, I'm going to pop some popcorn, going to right. Watch these movies. I'm going to catch up on some of this content. Find some of the old content. I'm going to find some old content. Have you ever watched content. The Way We Were with Robert Redford and Barbara Streisand? No, but I have seen the Sex and the City episode that references the episode or that mm. that movie with Robert. <laughs> that movie is one of my it's it's sad. There are parts that are sad, but it's so good. It's actually it's on my list of things to watch because I haven't seen it in a while. You know, something that that the Trump era has a way that it's sort of like poisoned me in a way that feels bad that I hope to undo 
is now sometimes when I watch movies and there's a love story, I'm like, who cares? I don't care about this. Why do I care about this? (laughs) Aren't there bigger problems? But Aaron, that's my big problem with a lot of things is that I have a hard time with the with my attention span because I'm like, does this really matter right now? Like, honestly, mm-hmm. does this matter? <laughs> I should be reading something more important. Though you know what I have picked up on? You know, like, you know how I watch too much Law and Order. Mm-hmm. I've been finding old episodes of Fame. Fame. Do you remember Fame? I think it might have been a little bit before. It was before your time. But the beginning of it, Debbie Allen, Leroy's my favorite character. When I could like tell my mom all the characters before I had started watching it again, she's like, you have real problems with your memory because that's crazy that you remember that. <laughs> but in the beginning of the show, Debbie Allen every time says, you want fame? Well, fame's going to cost you. And here's where you start paying in sweat. I love it. I'm like, bad bitch. Uh, uh, isn't there a scene in Schitt's Creek where Catherine O'Hara kind of channels? Yes, I channels think so. She's, you will work until it hurts. And she's saying that to some kids. Love it. Love it. Okay. All right. Well, that's our sanity corner. I think uh, jam <laughs> I making. I feel even more sane. I feel more sane too also. Um, I, uh, I I love doing these. We should do these more often. It's, yes, uh, it's fun. It's, it's very, very fun. I mean, and I, I did make it petty, even though it was a sanity corner. That was a classic. Uh, good job, Erin. All right. That's all the time we have for Hysteria this week. Thank you, Alyssa, for hanging out with me for the whole show. Thanks to Jane Fonda and Annie Leonard. Uh, that's a sentence I never thought that I would say uh, for stopping by and hanging out with us. And thanks to all of you for listening. There will be more Hysteria next week. Hysteria is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Rastin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Brian Semmel and Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.